never fear, fellow victims. I am here. <laughs> Bring it up, Dave. Come on, Harry. This is a big show, for God's sakes. Oh, oh yes, as part of our vast public service uh, uh, program here, we're continually uh, uh, keeping our finger on the pulse, or whatever the hell that is that keeps bumping in your wrist. We uh, are continually keeping our finger on the pulse here of the public. And uh, the let's say the moral temperature and tempo of our time. And as part of our vast public service programming, we have instituted this new feature called Crime Marches On. Yes, among the major art forms of the 20th century must now be included crime. Earlier centuries which dealt in drama, mosaics, tapestry, poetry, and the eternal verities of sculpture have now given away to the 20th century art form, crime and all of its ramifications. And so tonight we have selected several interesting crimes of our time to report to those of you who would like to keep a finger on the tempo of your century. Our first crime tonight, Billings, Montana. A pair of burglars picked the wrong bar to unload their hot merchandise. Police officers reported. Officers said Francis A. Davidson, 20, and Paul Sorensen, 18, were arrested after entering the Silver Dollar Bar in Billings, Montana and trying to sell some hot goods. One of the employees of the bar, the bartender, in fact, was the owner of the house they had burglarized, and he recognized his stolen cowboy boots, his portable television set, and his Polaroid land camera. An argument ensued. And so we'd like to salute these gentlemen, crime marches on in the classical silver dollar bar. We've always associated silver dollar bars with crime and violence of one kind or another out in the untamed West. And now another crime, but of a very different type for those of you who are subtle uh, fans of crime of various types. I would like to uh, point this one out, which has certain uh, ramifications which we do not wish to bring up at this time. International crime, as we know, has become a major issue in movies. Bangkok. Police tripped the alarm system at a bank in a rural town outside Bangkok recently in a test to see how long it would take for the police to arrive. We've seen countless movies where the police arrive with blue lights flashing, where Marty Milner sits in his squad car at the alert. But outside of Bangkok, they pressed the alarm to see how long it would take for the police to arrive. And after 45 minutes, the only response was a small boy who arrived carrying a bowl of noodles. Investigation revealed that the police station where the alarm buzzer was located was next door to a noodle shop and that the wires had somehow gotten tangled up and the noodle shop was alerted to deliver noodles to wherever the buzzer went off at. They delivered noodles. And so crime, in all of its ramifications, marches forward as man plunges towards the end of the 20th century. Another crime, this time of a curious, singular poignancy, should be pointed out. 
A judge has ordered the University of California to prove that it had a right to fire a widowed cafeteria employee accused of not spreading mayonnaise all the way to the edge of the bread and sandwiches. The university also said that Doris Judd, 59, was extremely slow in dishing up sauerkraut. Superior Court Judge Richard Patton has ordered the case continued for further investigation. And our final crime has curious overtones of our time, since crime is almost invariably involved in drama, comedy, the pathos of human existence. Dallas, September 4th, the police department described today how one of their officers gave chase and caught a runaway boy in Dallas. The boy ran through a briar patch. So did the cop, who tore his pants from one end to the other. The boy then turned into an alley. So did the cop. And his cap blew off. The boy ran across a field. So did the cop. And his toupee came off. Overcome by laughter, the boy stopped and a policeman captured him at that point. The police department said it would replace the officer's toupee without charge. After all, it was lost in the pursuance of duty. That was very nice. Part of our continuing public service programming here. I like the idea of that guy running through the alley with his toupee flying off. <laughs> hey, you know that... that uh, you know, how many times have you seen... Uh, you know, the toupee, uh, today they don't call it toupee any longer, really. It's called a, uh, it's called a, uh, well, it's, uh, it has several names. You've seen, have you seen those toupee ads on TV where the guy says, look at the picture that was taken before I got my fantastic hairpiece. Why, I'm ashamed of that picture. You've seen those spots late at night? I mean, <laughs> the taste of our time. There's one great spot where this girl sits there and she looks very dreamy and harps play behind her and she describes the supreme satisfaction of this incredibly effectable, effective deodorant. And, uh, you know, it's like Tristan and Isolde. Can you imagine Isolde in the middle of this great love scene turning to the audience and saying, I'm using the deodorant that gives me 24-hour protection and it makes it possible for him to get near me. Uh, <laughs> Have you seen the one where the girl suddenly magically makes the scene with this guy because she uses the right toothpaste? Have you seen that one? Yeah, you know, the girl The girl is, uh, it shows her in the room, and uh, she's with her girlfriend, you know, and she says, uh, Oh, Myrtle, I have a, I have a date with, with Lance tonight, and I, I'm so excited. But, you know, he hardly paid any attention to me the last time we went on the date. But I bought this magnificent dress. Look at this. And look at this beautiful wig I have. And the girl says, come on now, come on, Marcia, put your money where your mouth is. Here, and she holds up this toothpaste, see, try this. It makes my teeth their whitest. And she says, oh, really? And the next scene, you see her coming into the room, and she says, uh, Marcia, her friend, her friend says, Marcia, how did you do? She says, oh, did we get together, and how, wowie. And she opens her mouth, and there's a quick close-up of her fantastic teeth. They're glowing in the dark. And uh, obviously, she went out with a tooth fetishist who uh, <laughs> has a thing on teeth. But of course, various fetishes of our time, uh, we we uh, not recognize that uh, our our society has fetishes, uh, just like other societies have always had. For example, it is well recognized that the Chinese 
uh, for centuries had a foot fetish thing going, you know, where they bind the feet and they get very small and all that kind of thing. Uh, we've got a tooth fetish. We've also got, a, you can see it, and a hair fetish that won't stop. I mean, if you don't have hair, you're in trouble today. Uh, it's just like in China, probably, if you didn't have feet, you were just one of the, you were cast into the outer darkness. But the hair is very important. And so the idea of this cop running through the alley and his toupee flies off, that you'd never see in Adam 12. Although it might be a hell of a sequence. I mean, to see Marty Milner's hair fly off, you know, in a scene. Incidentally, what movie did Marty Milner play? How many, I'll give you, I'll give you a brass figure with bronze oak leaf palm if you're a trivia expert of our time since, uh, you know, the Adam-12 syndrome is becoming very important to people. I, I've seen guys holler out of the window to their cab, you know, to another cab. Guy hollers, uh, you know, two cab drivers right on 6th Avenue. One holler, hey, Marty! And Marty turns on in Marty's cab. Marty says, what do you want, Stan? He says, you're going to go over to the H&H later about 4 o'clock? See you down there on Union meeting, huh? At which point uh, Marty says, uh, okay, Stan, I'll see you over and out, 10-4. Well... This, uh, this, of course, is the uh, Adam-12 syndrome where people must preface every comment with a Roger over and out 10-4, uh, Code 7, Code 3. Uh, I heard a guy on the phone the other day. Really, seriously, I heard a guy on the phone. I, I, I went in this office, see, and, uh, you know, it was a friend of mine who was really into all this kind of stuff. You know, he, he's got it all, see. And, oh, yeah, any fad that's going at the time, this guy is like the litmus paper of fads. He can detect a fad at a thousand yards, and uh, he, he reacts to it. You know what litmus paper is? Litmus paper is, don't you, you know? Litmus paper is this kind of stuff, you know, it's a kind of, it looks like a, looks like a towel, looks like a little piece of uh, absorbent towel. You've seen this. It looks like drawing paper, actually. And you dip litmus paper uh, I'll give you a brass figure with bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me who Litmus was. It occurred to you that Litmus is named after a gentleman uh, who invented this stuff. The Litmus paper, you dip into, uh, say, a, any kind of a fluid, like, say, cranberry juice, and it turns green or it turns purple or something like that, see, because it detects stuff in the... In the fluid, right? It detects things. That's what litmus paper is. Well, this friend of mine is a is a is a veritable walking human litmus reacting agent to fads. Any time, any fad, I can always tell what's what's happening by what this guy's doing. See, and he drops the and also part of the, his litmus activity is that he knows when the fad is over. That's very important. There's nothing worse than to see some poor sad slob walking around. Still involved in last year's fad. That is a sad scene in our time. It really is. You got to be au courant. And uh, yeah, you know, it's like a guy walking into a cocktail party around town that says, uh, uh, Ban a bomb. This, oh my God, this guy, you know, this guy probably is still an Edward R. Murrow fan. You know, he's, he still probably thinks that the Adley Stevenson's going to run again. And, uh, you know, Ban a bomb. Uh, or, or he's got a thing that says, uh, beware of strontium 90. That's all over. That, that, that's gone, you know. Now, so fads are very subtle these days. Fads can be causes, you know. Uh, uh, in fact, they're the most prominent fads of our time, the cause. And, uh, oh, yes, uh, the various causes that come and go like fads, uh, they, they disappear. Like protect the Eskimos. That lasted for about eight or nine weeks last year. They're gone now. Hell with the Eskimos. 
Uh, that's all over. You don't want to get caught still with last year's fad. So my friend, uh, whose name is Howard, in case you're interested, better known as Howie, among his friends, of which he has manifold. That's one thing about fad people. They like to think they got millions of friends. And so I go to Howie's office the other day, and uh, Howie's... Uh, Picks a wait a minute. There's a little buzzer ring here, and he's got a call. See, so he picks it up like this, you know, and he says, "Yeah, Howie here. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, Stan. Yeah, right, right. Uh, oh, Stan. Uh, uh, listen, Stan. Code seven. Yeah, okay. Uh, Ten four. Over and out. Yeah. I said, "What the hell was that? I thought maybe he's, you know, he's got a direct line to the sixth precinct or something like that." I said, "What was that, Howie?" He said, what do you mean? It's understanding. Up in Costa County. I said, well, what, what, uh, what, what was that about? What's this uh, Code 7 bit? Uh, you know, the 10-4 stuff. He said, oh, come on. You're putting me on. I said, no, I'm not putting you on. Uh, I happen to know what Code 7 means. I happen to know what 10-4 means. But what, what's, what's with this thing with you and uh, Stanley with the Code 7? He said, well, we're going to lunch together, aren't we? I said, yes, we are indeed. Howie, we are going to the to the decrepit bagel. That's true. We are going down there, and we are going to have a spot to, to eat. Uh, but, uh, you know, why didn't you say to Stanley, well, I'm going out to lunch? He says, oh, come on. And I don't have time for all that kind of long explanation. I just simply said Code 7, which says, in effect, uh, uh, out to lunch. We will be unavailable at our code signal number here until we return from lunch, at which point I will check back with Stanley and uh, say Code 12, which means I'm back in action. Bum, bum, bum. This is WOR New York, and uh, uh, this is a, what is it? It's an Archaeo General Station by George. It certainly is. If you want to find something out, you've got to ask tough questions. And we want to find something out. Do you know you're probably drinking the wrong beer? Do you know there's a beer so good some people won't drink any other kind? Do you know this great beer's name is Valentine? Does that surprise you? Why not try a Valentine today? We can ask tough questions about beer because we've got the answer. The only answer. Valentine. Yeah, the only answer, friends. Brewed by P. Valentine Brewing Company, Cranston, Rhode Island. A beer you can't believe in. I say, are you uh, a friend uh, planning to go to medical school or law school? I mean, that's a hard scene. you got to really hack it, man. Are you or your child or anybody you know taking the MCAT or the LSAT exam? That's a scary exam. If so, you know your score will be crucially important in meeting today's fierce competition for admission to law school or medical school. Well, the admission test review course can really help you. It has helped students throughout the country to score higher on these exams. They have a professional staff to teach you effective test-taking techniques. And don't think that isn't a technique. They give you practice exams under test conditions. You know, like they spray sweat on you and, and <laughs> Proctor walks around. And, and they thoroughly review and explain the areas covered in the exams. And now, right now, the MCAT, that's the medical one, the MCAT review course begins the 9th of September at the Americana Hotel and other locations in the metropolitan area, providing 24 hours of intensive classroom instruction at reasonable rates. This might be a fantastic investment if you're about to take the MCAT exam. If you want to improve your chances of embarking on a medical or a law career, call the Admission Test Review Course now at 265-1400. That's 
Listen, I've taken some exams, man, that have curled my hair. Have you ever taken an exam that the instant you got the, the ten questions, you know, that's the scary kind when they say, there are just ten questions on this exam, and uh, each question then is good for ten points. A passing grade is 80. And, uh, and then you say, oh, my God. And they hand this to you, and the instant you get it, there's a stunned shock goes through your body like an electrical shock. It's all over. <laughs> Have you ever had that happen, you heard? On the other hand, I tell you, exam testing and taking can be... Oh, oh yes, yeah, so you want to hear more about my friend. Before I go any further, I'll tell you what another thing my friend did. When we're coming back from the coming back from lunch down at the decrepit bagel, we're walking down the street there and they're picking our teeth, you know, and having, uh, you know, popping aspirins and popping uh, anisons and rollades and all the rest of it. See, you have to do that after certain lunch-type places here in New York. It's a protective device. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, some food that is served in lunch places in New York is literally explosive. Uh, given a you know few minutes of fermentation, it's level come blowing right out your ears. So, uh, nevertheless, uh, we're walking. <laughs> it's true, too. <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, I, I don't want to get into that. That's a, that's a mess of pottage. But uh, I'm walking back from this place with uh, Howie, and I said, Hey, Howie, we're going back to uh, the office. And he said, Yes, indeed. I said, Well, why don't you try Code 3? And uh, he says, Code 3? Yeah. He said, uh, Damn it. He said, I left my whistle back in, in, the, in the office. Well, Code 3, of course, is with your siren. That means you're you're uh, you're going back into action with your siren going. You know what code three? Uh, didn't you know that? Oh yes. Uh, like uh, you'll hear him say, uh, "Out of twelve, out of twelve, uh, go to the corner of Seventh and Vine. A robbery is now in uh, progress. A robbery is now in progress. Code three. Over and out." And then uh, Marty picks up and says, "Out of twelve, message received. Uh, uh, code three, uh, ten four. And bap. That means that it, then he reaches over and he turns on a siren, right? Well, code three means. Uh, you're warning the crook to get the hell out before you get there. I've never got to understand why guys turn their sirens on when they're going to a place where there's a robbery in progress. I mean, you know, this is like saying, Hey, you guys! Get going! The cops run away! And, uh, you know, uh, they do this all the time. I guess it's a lot of fun to blow a siren, though. Uh, let's face it, I... I uh, one time I did own a siren. Did you ever own a siren, Herb? Yes, I did. I owned a siren. <laughs> there was at one point in American uh, social history a uh, a fad, which I was part of. Let's let's concede one thing. I'm as fatty as the next guy. Absolutely. You better believe it. If you could see my tinfoil pants uh, that I've got here right now, I'm wearing my tinfoil pants and my late Edwardian buskin that I got on. Uh, you'd know that Shepard's right there with the rest of them. I got a set of sunglasses that glow in the dark. I, you know, I got the whole bit. This mustache, you see, clips on. Uh, you know, this is all part of it. You, uh, you never know when a fad is going to go out. You want to be ready quick. So if you go to, say, 21 or some, you know, someplace, oh, that's not there, you know. But if you go to some really hip place like, uh, like Elaine's, you know, and you walk in there, nobody's got mustaches, you quickly turn your head and unclip your mustache. Stick it in your pocket. On the other hand, if you walk into the decrepit bagel and everybody's sitting there with giant mustaches and they got the sideburns down to the gut, you know, and all that, you quickly turn your head again into your briefcase. You, cl you clip your, you know, you can get clip-on uh, sideburns now to go over your ears, you know, little clips. And you clip your sideburns on, you snap your mustache on under your nose, and you're ready for business. 
you walk right in. You, you carry a complete kit that uh, is in your briefcase for any and all fads at that time. Of course, let's, let's assume one thing. The briefcase is long since gone. I do not have a briefcase. I have a shoulder bag. And, uh, yes, it is. And it's very, very handy. It's got all kinds. i got a fitted kit in there, you know, with all sideburns. i got a, I got a false mustache. i even got a beard that goes on. It has a, you know how eyeglasses go over your ears? Well, this beard goes over the ears and comes down. I have three types of beards. Uh, you, yeah, it depends on where you are. If, if, you, uh, if you're in the Upper East Side, the well-trimmed, the uh, elegant uh, Van Dyke is, uh, is important. And so I put that one on. If I'm down walking along, say, uh, Greenwich Street down in the village, I got my, uh, my, I have a full Allen Ginsberg, which is magnificent. It's tremendous. I put this baby on, hangs all the way down to my gut, you know, and it's got birds that fly out of it and all that stuff. And uh, on the other hand, I also have my Zen ascetic, uh, which is the long, thin, sort of scraggly kind that snaps on. This also comes, by the way, with a, with a, uh, Fu Manchu mustache, which clips on the bottom. And uh, I have a special T-shirt, which is a dip-dyed T-shirt that says, Go Ganges, on the front of it. And it's kind of great, uh, you know. And, I, 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 and I've, I've been practicing a squat. You know, you squat down. I, I often uh, go to, uh, say, the uh, decrepit bag and squat there by the hat-check uh, counter there, and they come and bring me my desiccated rice. That's a new type of uh, rice, a very important rice. You know what desiccated rice is as opposed to you don't know what that is? Well, you see, in certain of uh, the more esoteric religions today, uh, rice plays a very important part. Uh, uh, rice is very... It, in fact, rice is far more than a food. It is a symbol of man's uh, closeness and contact with the world of nature. It involves... You You understand this is too complicated for any of you out there, but rice is a symbolic food as opposed to, say, uh, popsicles, which is, uh, you know... Uh, as opposed to, say, hamburgers. Uh, although I think in time, maybe five, six hundred years from now, the uh, Big Mac will become symbolic. Uh, now it's just a great big fat sandwich. You grab it and it drips down on your watch, you know. Oh, yes, I know a guy that got all kinds of gravy from a Big Mac and a very expensive watch, and it fermented. And uh, six months later, he had little birds, and he had the flowers growing out of it and everything else, and it was running very slow. But uh, you got to be careful of this. Uh, waterproof watches are not necessarily catch-a-proof. has a certain... Uh, uh, yes, it has a different specific gravity. You understand this uh, technical problem here. Yes, it does. Oh, yes. yes Alcohol, for example, has a different specific gravity than water. Now, you take your average waterproof watch. Now, here's a waterproof watch I'm holding up. You will now notice I'm holding up for the camera heads a waterproof watch. Now, if I were to dip this into vodka... This baby's allowed to give a scream and, uh, <laughs> you know, start whistling Dixie because this has a very different specific gravity. And what uh, can keep out water may not necessarily be able to keep out, say, uh, Jim Beam uh, or, let's say, uh, Beef Eater Gin. Next thing you know, you got a watch full of martini, you know, a little olive popping around down there among the works. But uh, nevertheless, you got to be careful of these things. And uh, I don't know why I'm bringing this up to you, but uh, desiccated rice. You've never had desiccated rice. Well, there is a, a Eastern philosophy that says that only rice, which has passed through the elementary canal of one of the creatures of nature, is rice that should... In other words, you're contacting not only 
the world of uh, the animal life, the plant life, rather, which is, of course, what the rice is. You understand rice is a plant. You do know that. It's not named after a university. Uh, rice is a, you know, is, is a plant that grows like that. See, rice is, I, I, I'm not sure whether Rice University, or do, haven't you ever heard of Rice University? You have. Well, I don't know whether Rice was named before or after the invention of what we know as Rice. That's, uh, you know, that uh, gets a little esoteric. So there's no point in pursuing it. However, Rice itself is symbolic. You will agree, Jerry. Yes. Uh, that's true. Uh, very symbolic. Uh, and various forms of rice. You don't just go out and get rice. You don't go out and get Mama's 30-second-minute uh, ding-dong rice. That, uh, oh, no, no, no. That would turn off any good, uh, serious rice student in an instant. There's all kinds of rice, various ra- brown rice, wild rice, which is not real rice at all, but a small form of Midwestern or upper Minnesota radish that grows in the lakes up there. Uh, you've probably seen it, right? Uh, it's not really rice. You're going you're gonna to say, oh, Shepard's blowing smoke again. No, I'm sorry. Wild rice is not rice. It is something else. It is a small uh, miniature radish, uh, which uh, it's, a, it's of the radish family. Let's put it that way. Uh, so, nevertheless, uh, we were coming back from the, the desiccated bagel, which features desiccated rice as part of its menu. Rice is, this is rice that is partially digested by the, by the Ganges River carp. Very important. So the river carp has to be caught in a certain way under certain types of, uh, of uh, Zen treatment, certain types of nets that are, have been uh, a spell and, uh, and the blessings have been cast upon. And when the river carp is caught, he is often found, if you're lucky, with partially digested Ganges rice in his lower elementary canal, at which point then that is known as desiccated Ganges rice and is very, very religious. Very, very religious. And so we, we were coming back. See, Harvey's all part of this, and Howie and Stan, and all this little group is all part of these things. So we're coming back after our snappy meal of desiccated rice in the camel burgers, and we're walking back, uh, and I asked him about the Code 3 thing, and he says, Code 3. Well, he, uh, he hadn't thought of that, actually. So now uh, he's, he's uh, keeping in this uh, briefcase a small whistle which he can use in his Code 3 episodes. Now, I'm telling you this as a man who has gone through this. There's a great deal of satisfaction in operating a siren. The siren is a, is a, is a, is an instrument of sound that somehow is directly connected. Nobody quite knows why. That particular sound is connected directly with the inner soul of the 20th century man. The siren. It's an exciting sound, isn't it? Why? Well, it's symbolic. It means another victim is being carted off. What means that uh, once again, evil has come full tilt into the arena with good, right? It's fantastic. It's the wave of the banshee. Maybe that's part of it, too. Have you ever heard of the Banshee? The Banshee has a curious, ethereal, siren-like wail. Well, I can testify personally that owning a siren is one of man's most deeply satisfying experiences. And when I was a kid, and let's face it, friends, the bicycle craze 
is not new. It is a, it is a, a man ever since the day in the late 18th century when he discovered the bike. You know, the bicycle was invented about then, wasn't it, Jerry? Late 18th century, 17-something. Yeah, well, very primitive, of course. Uh, we're still in a primitive form of bicycle. For any of you who've tried to fix a 10-speeder, you know damn well it's an awful primitive instrument. Listen, I know one guy that gave up his whole summer just fixing his bicycle, and uh, he never yet has completed it. He's, he figures he's got well into uh, April, you know, next year before he's uh, ready to really get mad. But uh, <laughs> I'm telling you the absolute truth, friends, that it's still a primitive instrument. And after all, how do you define primitive? Something that doesn't work very good. One thing, and it's a, you know, it's basically unperfected. Isn't that how you would define primitive? It's a crude. That's one way to describe it. And, and how many ten-speed bicycles you know that look like they've been stamped out of Reynolds wrap that you see around? You agree, huh? Listen, balsa wood chains they got on them. It's terrible. Painted black to resemble metal. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless. Uh, uh, I, I, I had this bicycle, see, and I was uh, I was into bicycles from about the time I was about two and a half, and I had this tricycle, and uh, right then I knew, uh, you know, that this is my mode. I was a, I was a man who believed in automotion. I believed in getting around the world. Some people never do. Uh, I suspect Ralph Nader from never owned a pair of stilts in his life. No way. They, first of all, he could prove conclusively at the age of three that they're dangerous. That's quite right, Ralph. That's why they were so fascinating. <laughs> if, you, if you could develop a, a, a purely, totally, 1,000% safe parachute, everybody give up parachuting. I mean, it would become about as exciting as having a, you know, a dish of flapjacks in the morning. Which, you know, you know on the other hand, that can be dangerous, too. Uh, I heard of a guy that was killed uh, by arsenic-laced flapjacks once, but that's something else. But that was his wife. She, you know, she was sorehead anyway. But no, this actually happened. We won't bring that up. What happened? She used uh, arsenic instead of uh, baking soda. What was the arsenic around for? Well, uh, purportedly rats. Unfortunately, no rats had ever been seen in that neighborhood for thousands of years. But she was ready for rats, and uh, she put a little bit in his uh, flapjacks one morning. And goodbye, Charlie. Uh, you know, for a while they suspected the maple syrup, but uh, it wasn't the maple syrup at all. But uh, that's uh, beside the point. I don't know why I bring this up. Uh, I will say that I was involved in the bicycle world, and I had several great bicycles in the past. Uh, at one time, I owned the Columbia. Uh, you have heard of this bicycle. Yes. Uh, have you ever heard of the Elgin? You have heard of this. Well, these are two bicycles that I, one time, was the proud owner of. Uh, however, this occurred on a on a Columbia. I had this Columbia with the uh, 26-inch wheels. You heard of those wheels, right? And had a new departure brake. Has one heard of the new departure brake? You have not heard of this, Jerry. Well, you better consult with Herb. The new departure brake is a is a brake which is a form of clutch, really, and, and it's a complicated type brake. But what it does is that when you're pedaling your bike forward. See, most of you are used to uh, these primitive, kind of sad little hand brakes with two little pads about the size of, uh, you know, about the size of, uh, of uh, hearing aids apparently are supposed to stop you by clamping up against the side of the wheel. This is a ridiculous brake. Uh, I mean, it, you might as well drag your foot. You probably do just as well. 
Uh, and it's a sad little break. You've seen these things? They scared the hell out of me. They're little tiny, a uh, couple of little wires, you know, with these two little pads that go on the side of the wheel. Listen, a true, serious bicycle rider is never going to never going to trust little things like that to stop them. That's like, you know, that's like you're driving down the highway. You're drive, you know, you're driving down the, the Jersey Turnpike in your Buick Electra. And when you put your foot on the brake, they got a little, uh, can you imagine? Yeah, they got, they got, they got a little, uh, stick that comes out of the side of your car, and then on the end of it is a little Brillo pad, and it rubs up against your tire. You know, this is supposed to stop you. Forget it, friends. The new departure brake has disappeared because it's too damned expensive for today's taste. Do you agree? Uh, yeah, it was a real piece of machinery. Now, if, for those of you who do not know how it worked, the, the new departure brake, was this? It was. It was in your rear axle. It was. It was. A, it was a system in the rear axle where, as you pedaled your brake forward, you would. In other words, you're pedaling your bike, right? Bikes all work on the pedal principle. So you're pedaling it. You're pedaling the the bike. Now, what if you want to stop? Well, instead of just uh, you know pushing on a couple of little uh, cockamamie little things on the handlebar, which has little strings running back with two little pads and all that jazz, you would. Press your pedal backwards, right, Herb? You would press your pedal instead of forward. You press it backward, and man, you stopped. The new departure brake worked. You never heard of it, did you, Jerry? You have heard of it. Uh, well, the new departure was the name of the brake. That was the manufacturer's name, new departure. Now I don't know what they departed from. <laughs> it always made me wonder, you know, what they meant by new departure. But that's what they called it. So. Anyway, I am, uh, uh, oh, hello there. We've changed engineers in midstream. They woke Art up. Well, okay, Art. Listen, Art, would you please uh, give me a little of that uh, uh, that uh, heavy stuff in there? Yeah. Well, I don't know which one's numbered one. Uh, give me the one uh, marked, uh, give me my crime record again there. Yeah, that's the one on the left. Let's hear it, please. I just, yes. Yes, indeed, that is correct. Now, uh, the reason I'm playing this particular piece of music is that it's kind of symbolic of man's march upward and upward and upward, always reaching for that fantastic brass figurey in the sky. Man's continual attempt to better the lot of man on this somewhat desiccated veil of tears. Man marches on. He marches on, by God. He ain't going to stop for nothing. He's not going to stop for the camels and for the birds or for the squirrels or even the turtles. Man is marching forward, crawling up the ground as he goes, heading for the stars. Man is going to take over the whole universe. He's going to take over the universe beyond the universe, the whole thing. What do you think those guys are doing out in space? They're planning for it. Man is preparing to move into other planets. That's right. Don't think he isn't. The Russians are sending probes to Mars right now, day after day. Why do you think they're doing that? Right. Venus will come next. After that, Pluto, Jupiter. And then we'll move out into the Milky Way itself, taking over planet after planet, quelling various insurgent groups as we meet them on the way. Until finally, there'll be one little place somewhere in Bangkok or someplace where the world fantastic global interspatial galactic leader will sit. <laughs> you like that, don't you? <laughs> you can see yourself right there. Let's face it. Well, you 
you've seen Star Trek. What do you think Star... Why do you think Star Trek persists as a favorite show among the heads? Why? Because it's talking about the way they want it to be. Oh, you, you see this guy sitting in the Star Trek master control. He says, yes, Star Trek 7. Yes, Commander. You say that uh, a revolution has broken out on Uranus 7, Arcturo 4? We'll take care of it immediately. Switch Star Trek 6 to chorus number 422. Set the rocket 7B12. And we move forward. <laughs> you see him going out there, and they're going to blast Uranus 7, Arcturo 6, right out of the sky. All these guys are sitting around with pointed ears, you know, doing this bad stuff, right? Bring it up there, please. Just a little bit there. I need this little solace to hold me down. And so at a very early age, I realized that man was embarked on a course that none of us know the end of. As I sat on my Columbia bike operating my new departure brake, Yes. You want to know? Why? Why do you want to know where it's going? Why do you want to know where we're headed? What's it going to do? You know what? It's the excitement and the mystery of it all that makes it worthwhile. If you knew where you were going, what the hell would be the point then? Yes. And so as I went downhill on my Columbia bike, and then uphill on my Columbia bike, which was somewhat harder, and then I went downhill again on my Columbia bike, operating my new departure brake. At the age of eight, I had faint implications that all was not correct. All was not the way it seemed to be. God was not necessarily in its heaven. I say it because one does not know what God may well be. God may well be a large piece of igneous rock, sending out strange emanations throughout all the galaxies, controlling indeed the veritable life that you are living, or sniveling along, or struggling with, or battling in... Yes, I was coming down a hill, full tilt, on my brand new Columbia bike with its brand new, new departure brake. When, with all the aplomb in the world, which man has always been known to, I applied the brake at the bottom of the hill, going 722 miles an hour at least. And it was the last I knew for at least a week and a half. My new departure brake departed, departed rapidly from its uh, usual way of working and did not work at all. I went through a brick wall with my Columbia bike. It was then that I learned a great lesson. Progress is not necessarily progress, friends. And uh, my Columbia bike then ceased to be a Columbia bike, but a pile of old busted up junk. I then uh, attained... Uh, another step in my upward career in the bicycle world, I got myself an Elgin bike, a magnificent Elgin bike. It had all-state tires on it, chain all-state tires with chain uh, with a chain tread on it. Somehow the chain was supposed to give even more, uh, somehow, a plumb and pizzazz to my bike. And while I was in there making the final arrangements to buy my... Uh, my Elgin bicycle. I was there with my parents. It was a birthday gift, as a matter of fact. My mother and father were standing beside me, and the old man said, uh, Yes, uh, after all, it's his uh, ninth birthday. Uh, we want to have him uh, have the best Elgin bike available. Well, they had several models. And so I picked an Elgin bike that had chromium fenders. Oh, man. Yeah, you know, solid chrome fenders. Great, groovy-looking bike, see. 
had the new departure brake on it again. It had a saddle, a Troxel saddle. Have you ever heard of those? T-R-O-X-E-L? Troxel. Do they still make them? A Troxel saddle. So you can see, Shepard speaks with some knowledge of the bicycle world. I've, I've owned several. Well, at that point, uh, my mother says, uh, I'm just, uh, you know, she was oh so pleased I was going to get this bicycle. And uh, they had three or four different colors available. Uh, even then, I was showing a perversity in my choice. I picked the black one, which was highly unusual. Kids generally pick red. The first choice that the immature mind always goes to is red. Red. After that, he generally goes to bright blue or orange. Again, the symbol of the immature mind. I picked the black one with a thin silver stripe. And then I made a purchase. Personally, I spent money for an accessory on my Elgin bike, which provided more juice to my veins than anything else I've bought since. I bought a siren. Did you know that you could buy a siren for your bike that clamped on the fork in the front? Did you ever see them? You clamped it on the front. Said, yeah, that's right. And when you pull this chain, which attached to your handlebars, you reached down, pull the chain, a, a roller went up against the front wheel, and it went... Outside where, where our house was. Our house was down the base bale. I come riding down that hill, and I get about a third of the way down, and I'm really got rolling good, see, and I'd pull this thing, see. I suspect that's one of the side one of the side benefits of being a cop. You got a button right there that you can press, and my God Almighty, that siren goes off like Billy be damned. <laughs> what a sound! That's better than Uga. Or oh, how do you like those that go? You know that type? That's out of the old Harry Lime movies, right out of Europe. You know. Yes, uh, mysterious movies of Orson Welles skulking around the streets of Vienna. <laughs> with Joseph Cotton. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you see this thing coming around the corner with the blue lights going. It goes, oh, 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 oh. Oh, that must be exciting. But I, uh, I have never gotten my siren-equipped Elgin bike with a new departure bike, brake, and a Troxel saddle. It was one of the most satisfying things I've owned in my life. Yep. I don't even want to tell you what happened to that bike because it's, it's, even to this day, it bugs me. Because I went through the whole bike thing, even the one that you're going through right now. You want to know what happened to my Elgin bike? Fantastic, beautiful bike. Oh, God. I, I came out of the library. How, how innocent is it going into the library, you know, to pick up some dirty book on sex as a kid, you know? How, how innocent. I come out of the library one day, and my bike was gone. Never to be seen again. So I've experienced the whole bike thing. Completion, excitement, crash, busted wrist, new departure brake, Troxel saddle, and the final, of course, experience that all bike owners have, and that's your bike is stolen. Is there an international band that steals them? I don't know. 